Man, that was sweet, wasn't it? That's good stuff. I'll take all that I can get. So today I, I entitled this, this passage, or this message, uh, Experiencing Freedom. And, and if you've been following along, you know we're going to Exodus chapter 33. And that may not be where your mind immediately goes as you, if you've read that passage uh, in advance. But what I want to say kind of from the outset is, is that's the goal, isn't it? It's for, for you and I to experience a freedom in Christ that comes out of what we just experienced right here. To be able to, to sing and affirm together with one another the goodness of our God and to cry out together that we want to yearn for Him and for Him alone. Last week we finished up chapter 32 and I wanted to just kind of run through that briefly to kind of get our minds back into the setting of where we left off. We see Moses go before God again on Israel's half to intercede for them. And we talked about how Moses loved Israel enough to lay down his life or to at least align himself with the consequences of Israel's sin. Moses didn't sin the way they did. He was on the mountain with God when, when Aaron made the golden calf and then Israel together worshipped it. But, but Moses, because of the love that God had put in his heart for his people, took that burden and said, God, if you will forgive them, forgive them, but if you will not, just take me out of the picture. I don't, I don't want to exist if they will not as well. So we looked at, at how this is foreshadowing what Jesus is ultimately going to do for us on the cross, right? Um, the perfect sacrifice, the lamb that will be slain for us. We recognize that there's a change that happens over the course of Moses' life. We looked at how Moses, from where he, where he began as a child, living under the, the, in the household of Pharaoh and being raised as a prince, to his fall from that, going into the wilderness, and then God bringing him out of the wilderness to deliver Egypt, and then him becoming the leader of the nation of Israel. And we talked about how God wants to do a similar work in our lives. That God comes to us where we are in the middle of our sin, and he wants to do something great in our lives. And it's not going to be anything that we do of our own power, but it's going to be what God does in us as we obey him. I asked you to consider for yourself, um, if you're asking God to send someone else, we see Moses at the beginning of his ministry, God goes to him in the burning bush and he says, Moses, I want to send you to do this thing. And Moses' response is, God, I don't want to. And, and so the question I wanted you to ask yourself this week is, are you still asking God to send someone else to do what he has called you to do? And I talked about how we as believers are all called to share in the freedom that we've been given in Christ. But that we, we often trade that for things that we think will bring us satisfaction. We trade that freedom for things of this world that are not going to bring us any closer to God or any closer to one another. But God was not done with Moses in his refusal to go, and God's not done with us. God has a lot of work for us to do, not because we're good workers, but because God is choosing to make himself known through us. So God's going to continue to speak that same message today. We're going to see that God loves us, and, and God wants us to understand that his call to obedience is not about us just submitting ourselves to him, but ultimately it's the way he loves us the best is by giving us these commands. Okay, so today we're going to pick up in, in the beginning of chapter 33. And I want to remind you that as we are looking at this, that, that God's call for you personally is significant not only to you, but to those people that God has put in your life. Okay, so last week we left off the last verse of chapter 32. God sends a plague onto the Israelites because of their disobedience. 
um, in making of the calf. And I just want to say this from the outset, just if your mind has struggled with that this week, if you've been thinking about, um, you know, is God going to punish me when I'm disobedient, I want to remind you that this is not how God handles things with us, right? God's wrath was poured out on Israel because of their sin, but we have been given the gift of salvation, and so God's wrath was fully satisfied in Jesus' death on the cross. And so when God sees us, he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees the perfect sacrifice. And so in terms of our sin, there are very real consequences to us being unwilling to follow God, but they're not that, okay? God's not going to, you know, he's not a kid with a, my kids were out in the, in the driveway. I got home and there were pieces of paper all over the driveway where they had been burning designs and pieces of paper with magnifying glasses this week. That's not, that's not what God is doing to us, right? He's not going to try to pinpoint us and burn us for our sin. God loves us. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So let's pick up today in Exodus 33. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to break that down a little bit. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments, came from Mount Harib onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the, from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all of the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again, returned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So point number one I want to make today is that if we refuse God, God will find someone who will not refuse him. Even though Moses was very clear with Israel about how God felt about their breaking of the covenant, they suffered the loss of 3,000 who were still worshiping the golden the calf, the plague, all of that, they still didn't fully understand the consequences of their sin. God does two things in this passage. First, he tells them that they are heading to the promised land, which is exciting. But God tells them he will not be going with them. Excuse me. God tells them that they won't be going in, that only their children will. I alluded last week, I said that my fear for us is that if we refuse to obey God, that God's just going to say, okay, fine. And he'll do the work that he's calling us to do through our children. And that's what we see happening in this passage here. Is that Israel is refusing to obey the covenant that they agreed to. God set forth the terms. They said, yes, we will do those things. And then they didn't. And as a result of that, God said, okay, fine, if you're not going to do it, your children will. 
The second thing is he tells them that because of their sin, he will not stay with them as he did before. If he did so, he'd have to destroy them. Israel's decision to break this covenant that God had made with them had implications that they could not even begin to imagine. They had no idea whenever they made this golden calf that this degree of separation was going to happen. Their disobedience caused them to forfeit the inheritance that was promised. This land that God had created just for them. And that this also was going to create separation from God. God has removed himself from Israel and condemned an entire generation to death in the wilderness. I don't think they saw that coming. Listen, our refusal to follow God is going to have devastating results in our lives as well, but not because God's going to punish us, but because we're going to miss out on what God's doing. I was talking with somebody this week, and we talked about how when you give your life to Christ, you begin to experience heaven on earth right here. That our giving our lives to Christ is not about something that's going to happen when we die. It's about what happens right here on earth because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. We're going to miss out on the blessings of getting to walk with God and experience Him. Our families are going to miss out on experiencing the kind of relationships that God had intended. The list can go on and on and on. As I was preparing for this message this week, um, God, God did something in me. I want, to, I want to share a story with you. Many of you know that Lily... My niece is home now. She's still on breathing machine and all that. Tuesday morning, I'm on the way to work. Um, I pass, my brother lives about a mile from me, and I pass his house. I passed his house, and there's a sheriff's deputy in the front yard, and my sister was running from her car to the front door. And so I stopped and rolled the window down, and I said, is everything okay? And she said, I don't know. They called 911. So I pulled over and went inside. Lily had had trouble breathing all night long. The machine was beeping in an alarm all night. Jake and Sarah had been up all night working on it. Jake had had to leave to go to work. But when he left, things were kind of cool. Um, but Sarah went to change Lily's diaper, and her O2 level, which is supposed to be between 90 and 100, bottomed out. And she had to do what they called bagging her, where they put a bag on her, on her trach, and it has oxygen hooked to it, and they squeeze it. And she was literally squeezing to keep Lily alive. And so in the middle of that, she calls 911. Um, they, send, they start their dispatch process. She calls my dad um, because my dad's been through the same training that she's been. And so my dad's at the office already. And it's an 18-minute drive to get to her house. And so here I am with my younger sister. She and I are in the same boat. Neither one of us know what to do. Sarah's there. We're keeping this baby alive. It lasted four and a half hours of us not knowing what was going to happen. They put her back on the breathing machine. Her O2 levels would drop. They put her back on the bag. Her O2 levels would go back to 100%. Something's wrong, and we can't figure out what it is. My, um, my cousin's mother-in-law, who's a NICU nurse who does respiratory stuff at Rapids, came. She couldn't figure it out. The respiratory therapist that normally works in Opelousas happened to be in Alexandria. Such a God thing. She comes over. She's the one that's supposed to set the machine up. She can't figure out what's going on. But what we've determined is that something is wrong with the machine. Because as soon as we put Lily on the bag, everything's fine. But as soon as we put her back on the machine, everything starts going wrong. And here I am, in the middle of this, completely helpless. I know nothing. I went through one trach care training. I know how to take the Velcro strap off the back of the trach. That's about it. One point, um, my mom was at, stuck at work. She was having to do payroll, and she couldn't leave. And so my role while I'm there is just to call my mom and give her the play-by-play. -play. 
and I feel completely helpless and I'm trying to describe things that I don't really understand and she's trying to figure it out. She's a mess. I'm a mess. At one point, Bethany texted me and said, hey, can you give me an update? And I stepped outside and I thought I was fine and I was not. And I fell apart. Like, and you can ask Bethany, I, there's very few times in our marriage where I have cried and I cried because I couldn't help her. And if you have children, you know what it's like to have a child that's sick and suffering and you can't do anything about it. And you can see it on Lily's face. She can't vocalize. She can't make any noise. But that girl has this incredible ability to speak through her emotions, through her facial expressions. And you can see these giant tears rolling down her cheeks. And she is in pain and I can't fix it. God brought this to me because when God looks at us, and he sees us choosing to walk in sin, it breaks his heart. But not because he can't fix it. He can, but like we've talked about so many times, God is not going to force himself on us. He sees us clinging to things, hoping that those things are going to make us feel whole and feel loved, and he knows that they won't. He endures our tears because we have lost hope but God is not powerless he's just waiting for us to get to the point where we say I've had enough God I need you he's not going to waste our suffering he's going to use every bit of that to reveal truth that the things of this world the things that we are putting in place and priority over him will never satisfy us but he's waiting for us for you and I, for those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ, to actually start following Him. Our call is to join Him to set people free from pain. God wants to set us free. He wants us to experience freedom from clinging to things that are hopeless and understand that if we will cling to Him, we will find our hope. God is waiting for us. He is choosing to allow Himself to be revealed through you and I. There are people in our lives that are suffering, that are in anguish, that are in pain. And God's plan to reveal hope to them is you and I. But when we don't, it causes unnecessary suffering. Not only for us, but for those that are counting on us to be the people that God intends for us to be. God sees all of this and it breaks his heart. I think Israel finally begins to see it. I think they finally realize after God removes himself what they have lost. And their response is mourning. Forty years of wandering and mourning. And because of their sin, Moses has to set up a tent well outside of the camp so that the people are not too near to God. I don't know about you, but as I read that passage this week, I can feel the tension and the angst from Israel. As Moses enters the tent, all of them come out just to watch. And when the cloud comes down on the tent, they bow down and worship right in their tents. Because they see, they now realize that they have lost something incredible, but Moses has not. And they look at that, they watch from their tents with longing in their hearts. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people in my life 
that are experiencing something very similar to that. They know that God is real, but He seems so far away. And they look at, at the events in my life and the people in, other people in my life and they go, man, I wish I had that. To them, God seems far away, but they make the assumption that either God loves me more than He loves them or that there's something that I am doing that is giving me favor in God's eyes. I had a family member call me uh, Friday evening to ask me to pray for someone. And I know why they called because they've told me this before. They said, I'm, I want you to pray because God listens to you better than he listens to me. And that is a tragedy. Because I know that that's not true. They think that it's because of something that I have done that God hears my prayers. And it's not that God's not hearing their prayers. It's that they're not listening. They're not asking. Point number two I want to make today is it, it is the presence of of God that sets us apart, not our activity. When those people look at my life, when that family looks at my life, they see God's activity, not mine, and that's what they're drawn to. They are drawn to God's activity. They may not understand and think that it's me, but it is very much not. It's my call to help those people to understand that it's not me, to give credit where credit is due and say, this is not me doing something great. This is God doing what God does. Look, I'm not a good guy. I am broken. I am sinful. But I am loved. And I am aware of the position of where I stand before God, that He looks at me and He sees Jesus. And that hope gives me the courage to walk into the presence of God. And our call is to help people to see themselves the way God sees them. That right where they are, God looks at them and He sees the blood of Christ. what that person in my life needs. And what I'm praying for is that they will experience God for themselves, not through me. They want to see that God is working in their lives, and I want to see it too. We have a great case study that's before us. Some of you may be aware, some of you may not. But Kanye West, something big has happened in his life. Okay? Raise your hand if you've seen anything about Kanye on social media. Okay, a lot of you have. Okay, if you haven't, I'll fill you in. Kanye West is a very, very well-known rapper. Okay, kind of a big deal, at least in his mind, okay? He just released a new album called Jesus is King. If you haven't listened to it, go give it a listen, okay? It's been all over social media, and there's a lot of conversation happening both in the secular world and in the, in the, in the Christian world, okay, about whether he's really saved or if this is a marketing stunt, whatever. Last night, I watched a, a short interview that he did with Jimmy Kimmel. I don't know how long ago this interview happened. The album's been out, I think, for about a half a month, a month, something like that. I just found out about it. But I watched this interview, and I'll have to say that it is obvious that something has happened in this man's life. Bethany and I were talking about it last night, and, and she said, you know, I never saw Kanye smile before. He always had that hard look on his face, like most rappers do. In this interview, he couldn't keep but smile. He couldn't help it. Look, I'm no Kanye expert, okay? But the things that he said, the way that he spoke, it did not sound like what I know, what little bit I know of Kanye. Look, the real test is going to be next year at the Dove Awards when Lauren Daigle wins everything and he doesn't get anything. Then we'll know for sure, okay? If you don't know what the joke is, I'll explain it later. But look, my point is, it appears to me, from what I can see, that there are changes in his demeanor that only God can make. 
I could be wrong, but it looks like some God-exclusive activity has happened in this man's life. Jimmy asked him in the middle of this interview, he says, so are you a Christian rapper? And Kanye's response was, well, I think I'm a Christian everything. Okay. In that interview, my takeaway from that was that Kanye was elevating God and not himself, which is a big deal. And it was interesting, the more Kanye talked about Jesus, the more uncomfortable Jimmy Kimmel got with the interview. And at one point, he interrupts uh, Kanye when he's talking. He says, so are you, are you saying that you're born again? Kanye said, yeah, I am. I'm not going to tell you exactly what he said, but that was the gist of it. <laughs> Look, here's the point. When people see God-exclusive activity in a person's life that they haven't seen before, it surprises them. It grabs their attention. Kanye's a big name. He's got a lot of followers, right? God is doing something in his life. God is using the platform that he's given Kanye, and it's going to make some changes in this country. I listened to a song this morning on his album on the way here called God Is. I won't tell you the exact line because it has a curse word in there, but the basic gist of it is he's saying, I realize this is not just about religion anymore. That it's bigger than that. God-exclusive activity. It's about God working in our lives, not us. Let's move on. Verses 12 through 16. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore... If I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of this earth. I love that we get to see this conversation happening with Moses and God. Moses, once again, is before God, interceding, pleading for God not to leave Israel. God is, it, Moses has delivered the message from God that, that God's not going to accompany them as he did before. And he's, in delivering that word, he reminds himself or he finds himself heartbroken for his people. He is experiencing grief and loss right beside Israel. He is empathizing. He has stood with them. He has cried with them. He understands what they understand. That this separation from God is huge. And Moses becomes completely transparent in these verses. He's saying to God, I don't understand. Look again at verses 12 and 13. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Now, therefore, I have, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. What a relief it is to me 
to see a guy like Moses, a guy of this stature that has walked this closely with God, that knows him this well, and he is telling God, I don't get it. You've, you've been with Israel all this time. You have delivered us. You have done all this work. You have protected us. You have saved us. You have delivered us. You have loved us. But I don't get it. I don't know about you, but I have found myself there many times where I am doing my very best to abide in Christ. I'm following what I think he's saying. And then my life seems to just be falling apart. And I say, God, where are you? I'm doing what you're saying, but I don't understand. Moses is looking back at all of these things. And he's honest enough to tell God that this doesn't make sense. God, you've done all this work. You've set these people free. And now you're abandoning them. Abandoning them. And so he pleads with God and he says, show me your way. All that Moses wants is to know God. God, show me what you're doing so that I can know you. Listen, we need to find comfort in this. Every one of us in this room, if you have not, you will get to a place in your life where you are obeying God and your world is falling apart and you're saying, God, I don't understand. But what we need to do is not seek a solution, but seek God. Say, God, show me your ways so that I may know you. Moses didn't get it. He didn't understand, but instead of just throwing his hands in the air and say, forget it, God, I'm out. He dug in. He asked God the hard questions. And you'll never believe what happens. God answers him. God says in verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses responds by telling God that if you're not going, I'm not going either. He tells him. He says, if you're not going to go with me, leave us here. I had a conversation with somebody this week and we were both talking about how different our lives have become since we've learned how to abide in Christ. To listen to his voice and do what he says. And we echoed one another in the fact that we have had more than enough of trying to do life under our own wisdom and understanding. Of making decisions based on things that we think we know. All we want to do is to hear from God and we have no desire to move backwards in that. To go back to living life where I make all the decisions because I'm smart. Look, we have talked so much about the fact that God's righteousness, it's His righteousness that others see in our lives as we abide. However, there are so many of us that are still stuck in thinking that simply identifying ourselves as a believer is enough to spread the gospel. It won't. Look, no one has ever gotten saved because you have a Jesus fish on your car. No one. No one's gotten saved because you have an app automatically put scripture on your Facebook feed. Everyone knows you didn't put that on there. It happens at this time every day. You're not that consistent. No one is. No one is getting saved by that. No one, no one is, is coming to know Christ because of you doing those things. Look, it's not our culture, heritage, work, social media habits, or our righteousness that sets us apart from the world. Moses understood this. Those things actually make us like the world. Those things that we do in our lives to say, hey, look at me, I'm a believer. Everybody's doing that. What sets us apart is God. 
Moses in interceding on Israel's behalf reminds God that it is only through his presence that Israel is set apart from all other people. Listen, allowing God to lead us and accomplish his work through his power is what sets us apart. Not your social media profile. Not the Jesus fish on the back of your car. Only God's work through his power is what sets us apart. Anything that comes out of me that's not directed by God is not God. And listen, people know that. When you try to put on airs and you try to pretend like you're doing something godly and it's not God, people see it. They see right through it. The God-exclusive activity that happens only when we abide is proof to the world that God is real and working today. It's God's activity that sets us apart. Our good works disprove God. They don't build up Him or the church. Those works only temporarily inflate our own egos and make us say, wow, look how great I am. Look, Moses understood that without God, Israel was nothing. And listen, the gathering place west without God is nothing. Last point I want to make today. God's revelation of himself is what fuels ministry. God's revelation of of himself is what fuels ministry. We're going to look at verses 17 through 23. Look, we're doing a whole chapter today. How about that? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim. <laughs> and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by, where, by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put out put you on the cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. A lack of desire to follow God is the result of our self-imposed separation from God. Moses has had all this conversation with God. And he says, God, show me your ways that I may know you. And God does. He tells him the thing, he answers the question that he asks. And he's like, God, that's incredible. I want more. Show me your face. And God says, no, man, it'll kill you. But I'm going to show you as much as you can handle. Listen, if we're not abiding, we will never be the people that God intends us to be. I want you to hear that. If we are not abiding in Christ, we will never be the people that God has called us to be. I referenced this quote um, on like April of last year. Actually, let me me say this before. One of my devotions this morning said this. It was out of um, Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The devotion said this, In the Holy Spirit we have relationship with a God who feels, has joy and grief, is happy and unhappy, and has real thoughts and desires for the way we live our lives. The Spirit longs for us to live in communion with Him forsaking that which grieves his heart that we might experience the abundant life that only comes through wholehearted surrender to him. It is only by us surrendering ourselves to God on a daily basis that we will ever know Jesus by experience. 
The only way we'll ever have any depth in our relationship with him is by obedience. I quoted this April 28th, 2019, when we were studying the establishment of the Passover as a time for worship. And I love this quote, and I think about it often. It's John Piper, and he's talking about worship, and he says this. Excuse me, talking about missions. He says, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because we worship. Uh, excuse me, mission exists because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that's why we go. Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus and we want all the families of earth included. Psalms twenty two twenty seven says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. And he says this, Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by our, the joy of our own worship. Seeking the worship of nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship. You cannot commend what you do not cherish. You cannot proclaim what you do not know. We cannot free people if we are not free ourselves. We cannot experience freedom while we are still slaves to this world. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. If there is a lack of desire to know Christ and to make Him home, the issue is not God. Think about that. If there is a lack of desire in your life to make Christ known, the issue is not God. The issue is us. Have you ever been around a child that just opened a lot of presents? Have you? What do they do? Let me show you all the things I just got. Okay, look, this one. Let me show you all these details. My, my little nephew, Peanut, Lily's little brother, or older brother, excuse me. I was at their house the other day. We're doing all that stuff with, with Peanut, and all he wants to do is show me all his Hot Wheels tracks. He's so excited about all these little things. Listen, if, if we are experiencing God on a daily basis, we're going to be like that. We're going to say, let me tell you about this thing that God just did in my life. It's incredible. Let me tell you what he just did. That's the kind of stuff that Piper's talking about in this, in, this, in this passage. When we experience true worship of God, we must tell people about every detail of what we just received. We can't help it. If we're walking daily with God, we're going to have regular experiences with God because He's going to be doing things that only He can do and we're going to be so excited about it. Even in the middle of things going completely wrong, Tuesday was horrible with Lily. I was devastated. But I prayed and I asked God and so did everyone in that place. God, help us figure out what is going on. And we did. You know how kids play with things? Lily plays with her trach all the time. A little bitty cap had popped off and fallen in the bed. That was the only problem. Put the cap back on. Everything went back to working. There were two respiratory specialists in that room who had checked. They always say start at the baby and work at the machine. They had checked this machine over. My dad had checked the machine over. They made a, another check and dad found a little piece in the bed. We were praying and asking God, God, show us what the problem is. And he did. And even though that was devastating, it was a horrible experience. When it was done, guess what I did? I told people about what God did. For four hours, we tried to fix the machine. And the God was like, hey, this, this, this is the problem right here. Just put that on there. The point is, is that we need to be looking for God's activity. 
For years, Bethany and I would always ask our students where they had seen God that week. And the point of that exercise is to remind them regularly to be looking for God's activity, but also to understand that God has every intention of working in our lives every day. We grow up going to church camps and you have these mountaintop experiences and you just think, well, this summer was incredible. I can't wait till next summer where I get to experience God again. We get that every day. We can have that every day if we will just ask for it. God's desire is to do exclusive activity in your life every day. Moses' conversation with God on the mountain fueled his passion. He ends this time with God not simply by being satisfied with what God has said, but for asking more. He says, please show me your glory. When you experience being in the presence of God, you will always want more. We've been talking about joining God for 10 months. If during that time you've been trying to conjure something up because Will keeps talking about it, stop. Stop trying. Please stop trying. You cannot make this happen. You can't. I can't. You can't. Glenn can't. Nobody can. Ask God to show you His glory. Ask God to reveal Himself and that will be all the motivation that you need. God wants us to experience His freedom, but as long as we look to the world to try to find satisfaction, we'll never experience it. Let's pray. God, I thank You for the grace that You have shown us. The fact that You come to us right where we are in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of our trying too hard. And You say, You are mine and I love You. God, I thank you that you are a God that, that is so personal. That in the middle of our, our, our daily lives, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of us getting everything wrong, that you say, hey, it's cool, I got it. God, I think we understand, like Israel finally did, that by choosing to follow the world, we are losing something that is priceless. God, I ask that you would make that real for us in our lives. God, that you would teach us to stop trying to depend on other people in our lives. Stop trying to depend on things, paychecks, commitments from other people. God, that we would just learn to rely on you. That you would be enough. God, I ask that you would just give us a spark, a small glimpse of who you are, and that that would fuel us. That it would... Just drive us, just like Moses, to say, God, show me more. God, remove the distractions from our lives and take you out of it. Teach us to know you.